Hi, welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom podcast, where every mom can find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. You'll hear interviews with all kinds of moms who are learning how to navigate motherhood. Most of all, you'll learn that you have a partner in motherhood, a loving Heavenly Father who wants you to succeed and is always there to help you in your most important work as a mother. And now, here's your host, my mom, Dara Trendler. Welcome to the Spiritually Minded Mom podcast. I am really excited today to welcome my guest, Brittany Frank, who is a wife to her husband, and she's also a mom to a really cute one-year-old little boy. Brittany is a light who shares really authentically through speaking, blogging, and on her social media about her daily life as a wife and a mother while also dealing with paralysis. And I am really excited to have her as a guest today and hear more of her motherhood story. So welcome to the podcast, Brittany. Thank you. That was fun to hear someone else introduce me that I didn't have to write. People are always asking for a bio. So that was like refreshing to not have to. Oh, I'm so glad. That I wrote, but <laughs> so glad. Yes. Well, to start out, will you just tell us about your family? I was just going to jump into that. What makes us unique is anytime we go anywhere, we have at least four sets of wheels in the car. And sometimes <laughs> when we're traveling, we have up to 15 sets of wheels, like if wow. we're driving somewhere in the mountains or overnight. Um, and that is because I use a wheelchair, but I also use a walker. And we like to bring our stroller and our baby carrier. And then I also use this device called the mountain board, which has four wheels. It's kind of like a long board skateboard with mountain tires. So that's how I get my exercise in when we go up in the mountains or when we travel overnight. So <laughs> my little Subaru is packed to the brim. We only have one child and one dog too to fit in there. And we are packed anytime <laughs> we go just overnight because I'm such a such an adrenaline junkie that I need my or endorphin junkie that I need my exercise every day. And so it's a full, full car ride anytime we go anywhere with just one kid. Well, I'm <laughs> impressed that you're fitting it all in a Subaru. I was going to ask you, what kind of car do you have? Because yes. When we add the next kid, I don't know who's going to get left behind, Cooper <laughs> or one of the kids or Trevor, or we just have to get a new car. <laughs> Oh, well, that, that sounds really fun. Um, and I know you are very active, but before we dive in to talk about your motherhood story, will you share a little bit about how you sustained a spinal cord injury? Yeah. So I was in my junior year at Utah state. Um, I was running cross country and track and field. Um, we had just had the best cross country season in the fall. Our conference was in Hawaii and we had one indoor conference for track and it was outdoor time for outdoor season. And our coaches gave us the weekend off and life at that time was going my way in every aspect. Spiritually, I was closer to the Lord than I had ever been. Um, physically, I was running well and healthy and no stress fractures. And socially, I had great friends and roommates and um, mentally and emotionally, school was going well, and I was just happy all the time. And so when we got the news that we had a few days off, most of my teammates were from Utah. And so they went home to visit family or spend a couple days um, with them. But I am from the Chicago suburbs, so it wasn't really worth a flight home and back for two days, two to three days. And so I 
jumped at the opportunity to go on a climbing trip with my friends down to St. George. And I'd never been to St. George before. I thought Cache Valley was everything because that's where my whole world was. When I moved out to Utah, that's where school was. And we drive to the airport to fly out for track trips and cross country trips. But other than that, like the Wasatch Front and everything else was just a blur as you drove by. And so it was so exciting to be in such a new, beautiful place. And I fell in love with those red rocks the moment I got there. I think um, that Saturday morning, we woke up and we started climbing. And I think I went on like four or five runs that day. We played, we played volleyball and um, slack lined and rock climbed and did just about every outdoor activity you can think of. Finished the day with swimming and an evening run. And um, it was the next night that I was invited out on a moonlight rappel. And if you haven't gotten the gist, I am always up for adventure. <laughs> I love to go, go, go. And I love the outdoors. And so I, of course, said yes. I only had one more day to be there in St. George. And so I accepted this um, opportunity to go rappelling out at Cougar Cliff, um, close to Snow Canyon, if any listeners know um, St. George area. And it was there at the top of the cliff that I laid around looking up at the stars, skipping around from rock to rock while the fellow I was with hooked everything up and set everything up for the rappel and I had never seen over the edge we were at the top of the cliff and so I'd never seen over the edge I had no idea what I had gotten myself into but I had done 50 foot rappels before so I assumed it was just like all the others and um, this ended up being about a 250 foot cliff um and due to some some complications and some negligence, I ended up falling about 80 to 100 feet. Um, I, I had control the first 20 feet or so of the rappel, and then it was pretty much a free fall the rest of the way down. And so as I um, hit the ground, that, that impact was obviously very significant and earth-shattering and bone-shattering, literally bone-shattering. It broke um, bones in my feet and legs. Obviously, I landed on my feet. And it also broke my T12 vertebrae, which burst, um, and my T6 vertebrae, which didn't burst. And so the spinal cord damage, my spinal cord was damaged by the burst of the bones at the T12 level. And that is what left me paralyzed from the waist down. So that's kind of just the start of a really long journey of healing and being life lighted and hospitals. And that's a whole nother right, story. Right. So you were in for quite a long recovery. I know I read on your blog, you were in rehab and inpatient facility for what, three and a half months after this. Uh-huh. And so you yes. went from, you went from this life, this very, you painted the picture perfectly, like this very <laughs> active lifestyle to all of a sudden you don't have that anymore. You don't know what the prognosis is going to be. And so I'm sure there were hard times in that. I'm, I mean, I can't imagine there wouldn't have been. So how did, how did you navigate the difficult times and did you have depression? Did you, you know, were you mad at God, you know, different things like that? How did you navigate that? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to look back on the process with hindsight, but 
in the moments, like the moments laying at the bottom of the cliff, once I had regained consciousness, I, I was so positive and optimistic. And I just figured, oh, well, piggyback me out of here and I'll be okay. I've got some broken bones. Apologize to coach. Tell him I can't run. I assumed I couldn't run that weekend, but um, I had no idea of the initial severity. And then obviously as I got to the hospitals and as the pain truly set in, um, at the bottom of the cliff, I started to to realize the severity. But even then, my understanding of a spinal cord injury was very minimal and paralysis. Even when the doctors, you know, declared the paralysis, it still didn't sink in. And it might have been because of all the drugs or yeah. um, the overwhelming situation. But early on in the, in the hospital, though, I, my life was truly filled with hope. And I, I know that hope was a gift of the spirit and it was a gift from God. The moments from when I woke up in ICU intubated, I was very anxious and uneasy. And my mom was by my side with my scriptures and read the scriptures to me until I could fall back asleep and relax until they could take um, the tube out. And those early days were truly filled with, with hope because of my heavenly father, because that was a gift that he had given to me early on, that optimism and hope. But it's something that didn't come as naturally down the road. And it was something that I had to eventually work for. Um, and so that was, that was kind of the beginning process. I, I definitely reached depression, but it wasn't until a year and a half later, because I put my blinders on and got to work. And the moment I took my blinders off to see what my life was um, and finally slowed down um, and accepted the reality of what had happened, then that's kind of when I went through those different stages of, of grief. Do you, do you look at that first year and a half as maybe a blessing because your body was trying to heal, you had so many things going on, and but you were still able to remain optimistic and positive and then... Once your body had healed a little bit, then you could deal with the other things. Is that kind of how you feel about that? I hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, it truly was. And that first year and a half brought me so much, so many experiences, so much learning, so much growth. Um, but it also brought me that during that year and a half was the time that I met my husband. I graduated from college. I student taught in a wheelchair. I did so much in that year and a half that truly was a blessing. So yeah, I think, I think I did the best I could with what I had at the time, you know, with what I knew. So how, how do you think after that, when, you know, the reality starts to sit in, how did God bless you during that time of your life? It's interesting because I didn't feel like God was blessing me at some time mm -hmm. during some time this journey. Like I said, I felt filled with hope and optimism that first year and a half. And then as I faced the reality and I faced the depths of depression, I remember thinking of the scripture where, where we're promised that God says, I will not leave you comfortless. And I remember being in the deepest, darkest depths of depression and wondering if those promises were we're still true thinking, where are you, God, right now? I don't feel you. I, I can't find you. I'm trying to do what I need to, to find you, but it's not happening. And so I, I questioned the whole reality of God. And 
I came to learn later down the road that um, just like just as our Savior had to be left alone in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross to to endure all of our sorrows and pains and afflictions and trials and sins, I had my own small bitter cup that I had to take and to be left alone just so I could understand the depths of depression, so I could understand grief. Um, and it only enlarged my empathy and my ability to to relate to others who have gone through that darkness, have gone through that sorrow. Oh, I love that perspective of about being left alone, but you, but not being comfortless, having still having God there. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. I I think that so many people can relate to that, even though very few people probably went through exactly what you went through and are going through with a spinal cord injury. All of us have loss. All of us have you know, things that we have to mourn and, and we all have felt like God has left us sometimes. So I love that scripture that you shared that he will not leave us comfortless. So during this time, you said that you met your husband and, you know, as you were healing and and looking at the prognosis of your life, what were your thoughts about motherhood during all this? It was really interesting because before my accident and growing up, like motherhood was never really on my radar. I, um, I figured it would always come when I grew up, um, in quotes, yeah. you know, whenever, whenever that is when you grow up, but I never dreamed of becoming a mother. Like I never dreamed of the day I got married. I, I, I wasn't your traditional <laughs> girl in that sense, but I remember in the hospital as I started to grieve and realize certain things that I wouldn't be able to do. I remember having like a specific image in my mind that was just shattered. I remember thinking about motherhood and how I would never be able to carry my baby on my hip and to dance around the kitchen and just do all of those things that you you see in, in the movies, mother dancing around the kitchen with her baby on her hip. And that specific image just broke my heart. And for the first time, it made me realize that I cared about motherhood, that I wanted that to be a part of my my journey and my life. And knowing, coming to learn and realize that motherhood is eternal um, helped me, helped give me hope. And even at a time where I had no prospects of marriage or children in, in the hospital, but that that eternal and divine role gave me hope and peace. I think that's interesting that you you kind of you had those experiences and learned that before you came a became a mother. And I'm sure that once you did become a mother, it was all the more you know meaningful to you because you know you'd gone through this time where you didn't know if it was going to happen. And so, what concerns did you have about motherhood before you had your son? Oh, every concern in the world, how I would do every single little task. Right. So you had the typical concerns, I'm sure that we all have, but then you have some other things added onto that. Yeah. I mean, I wonder like, how am I going to carry my baby around? How am I going to give him a bath? How am I going to get him into the car? You know, how am I going to take care of this child when two of my hands are always on a wheelchair or a walker or crutches? I can take a few steps independently, but it's not safe by any means. Like right. I can barely keep myself up. And so I started Googling and researching for tips on, on mothering from a wheelchair and I wasn't finding a lot. And so I finally just 
told myself, you know what, I have all these kind of ideas in my mind of how I might do this or how I might do that. And I had all these hypotheses, hypotheses, and I wasn't going to be able to test them until my baby came. And that's what happened. Once he arrived, we tested out different ideas, different ways to transfer him into the rocking chair, to transfer him into the car and into the sling so I could carry him around. And I, I never dropped my baby. I can <laughs> say that now, one year old, he's had some falls, but I did not personally drop him myself, transferring him into anything or out of anything. And, you know, he's still alive 15 months into this. And we really haven't had many hiccups except for one night I left him in the rocking chair and <laughs> he, woke, he woke up crying and I'm like, he's not in his bed. Where is he? <laughs> he I left him in the chair when I had transferred out. I have to do a very specific process to get myself and my baby in and out of a chair. And I just forgot the last step of picking him up. So. Any mom can relate to that. We left a kid in the car once when he came home from the hospital. So <laughs> not for very long, but we were like, oh, we're all settled. And then where's the baby? Oh, we left him in the car. Yeah. So I think any mother can relate to that. Definitely. Have you ever felt like you were guided to know how to adapt or, you know, to do certain things to make it work for you and your baby? Um, you know, it just has been, like I said, trial and error. We try something and it doesn't work. We try something else and it works and I fine tune it and it works a little bit better. But I I truly feel more guided to, to my husband and motherhood itself because if my accident hadn't happened, I really don't know if I ever would have slowed down long enough to meet a guy and get married and have children. And so I, I truly feel like my accident helped me slow down and find this path of marriage and motherhood. Oh, well, that's, that's a great blessing that you received for that. If people want to know more about your life, your Instagram account is amazing. You, <laughs> you really illustrate and show, and I, I feel like you're, you're showing the things that maybe you had been Googling for yourself, but couldn't uh -huh. find you're showing the exactly. to other people of what's possible and, and what you can do. And it looks like you're pretty much home by yourself. Like your husband goes to work and you take care of your baby all day. Is that pretty accurate? Do you have people come in and help you? What does that look like? Yeah, no, it's just me and him. My husband takes off from work in the morning and I'm responsible for, for everything, for the caring of the house, the caring of the child, get, getting errands done and I will say I did grocery pickup for the first six months of his life. But after that, we started going to the grocery store. And so I do everything independently, transferring my son in and out of the car. But I always call, ask for help to bring my groceries out to the car. I have no shame. And <laughs> so that was my, kind of my next question. Like, how do you balance asking for help and trying to be independent? Okay. I mean, I think that that, as someone who was so independent before, I'm sure, you know, you're doing all these things and everything on your own. You know, how do you balance that now with getting people to help you or trying to do things on your own? Yes, you are right on. My mom used, used this word specifically, though. I was fiercely independent, not just like independent, yeah. but fiercely. Like I relied on my own two legs to get me everywhere. And I relied on myself. And I, I tried to rely on the Lord and I had a good relationship with him. But it wasn't until after my accident that I realized that I had to rely on the Lord to get through what I was going through. And since then, I 
I'm still pretty fiercely independent, wanting to load my own wheelchair in and out of the car. But anytime my husband's with me, I always let him load, yeah. load the chair and the baby. I'll, I'll take a break anytime my husband's with me. Sometimes I'll be sitting there, my wheelchair's by the door. I'm like, Trevor, are you going to get my wheelchair? <laughs> like, he always, he, he always does. But now with the baby, it's like a hundred things to remember to load, load the baby, load the stroller. Oh, and load the wheelchair. But so my husband is, I'm, it's easier to rely on my husband for sure when he is home, which isn't very often because yeah. work-life balance, there's a lot, a lot of hours in the day that we're on our own. And then we're, when we're in public, it's, it's hard too. I I remember the first time I went out with Will, just me and him, my mom had left and I was running into Target to pick something up. And so I was getting him out of the car and into my body, this little wrap on my body and and we'd run our errand. We did target pickup too, so it'd be super fast. And then we get back out to the car and someone asked if they could help. And I'm like, there really is nothing that you can do. I'm not gonna hand my newborn baby to a complete yeah. stranger. And so it's it's hard because I, I'm okay with others helping me, but I also don't wanna hand my child to a complete stranger. Yeah. Now that he's older, it's not as weird and and I've I'm I'm understanding more how people just want to help. Um, I'll always, I'll always accept people opening a door, but the other one that always happens is people ask if I need help and I've got the baby in the car, I've got the groceries in the car or whatever bags. And the last two steps is to throw my wheelchair in the back. And then I walk around the side and people always ask like, right while I'm throwing my wheelchair in the back, I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I'm, I'm done. Not, I'm not prideful to say no, but I'm literally done. Like, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate you noticing me, but I'm, I'm literally all done. So, so I really am still pretty fiercely independent, yeah. but I have had to learn to accept help and and it's been a very humbling experience, especially in those early days in the hospital when they did all of my care from giving me a bath to bowel and bladder to transferring me in and out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a long process of <laughs> accepting help and being humbled. Yeah, it sounds like you've learned a lot of lessons, but also that your character traits serve you well. Like that drive to be independent, I'm sure has been a great blessing for you. Most definitely. Before my accident, I mean, I ran cross country and track at Utah State and I'd been a long distance runner and I was used to doing hard things, you know, hard yeah. workouts. I really believe that doing hard things builds resilience and grit. So I was used to pushing my body hard. And so it was that same mentality that helped me in the hospital and has helped me since that that same resilience and grit and pushing myself through hard things that really has that really helped help me through those months and years of physical rehabilitation for sure I can totally see that and those are those are things that you can pass on to your son and help him to know as well and i i really kind of want to shift gears a little bit here and talk more about just your philosophy of motherhood and how you approach motherhood. And one of the things that you told me in our interview prep is that for you, being present is being productive. So I would love to know how that philosophy shapes your day-to-day -day life as a mom. What does that mean? It makes me laugh because I can't believe I'm the one that said that because <laughs> it is such a struggle for me. But I said it because 
it was so hard for me being go, go, go before in my life. I couldn't even sit through a movie. So here I am at home with a newborn. How am I supposed to sit and be present with a newborn and their crazy schedules? But I have themes every year. And last year, my theme was being still. And with that stillness, I, I came to realize that like being still isn't just lack of motion. It's it means being present and that is work and effort to be present and to be still and that being present and still and with your children is being productive and you want to do a hundred things and want to get a hundred things done in a day, but being there with your children, looking in their eyes, reading to them, laughing with them, um, just that eye contact, letting them know that you see them is being productive, you are helping their development. And that, that has been still, a, it's still a struggle for me, though, because mm -hmm. I still am like, I need to send this email, I need to get this done, I need to fit this in. So really trying to take moments to be present and take time to, to be still and present with him. Oh, I love that. And I can totally relate. That is a lesson that I have learned over and over in motherhood. But, you know, it really is important to remember that because when we think of productivity the way the world thinks of it, or if you're going to work in an office or somewhere, you know, productivity is, you know, you're getting things done, you're checking things off your list. And productivity in motherhood is totally different. It's exactly yes. what you said. It's being present and, and being there. And that might mean that a lot of things that seem important go undone. Yes, I read a book about that, um, how, you know, at work, you have measurable, attainable goals, where at home right. as a mother, you can't see, you can't see the growth that's happening, you can't see what's actually being done amidst the, the mess of toys and dish, dirty dishes and bottles. Um, and it's not going to be until your children are grown or years down the road that you will see that progress, that those moments of being present really paid off those moments of reading together that eye contact that that physical contact you you won't see that progress for years and years and so i think that's what's so hard about being a mom like you said and measuring in the workplace versus measuring what you're getting done as a mother yeah i can tell you when i had little kids i used to get so annoyed because my kids would pray in family prayer and say bless mom that she can get all her work done. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I started feeling so bad about that. I'm like, what, if, how do they view me? Like that? I just have this big, cause I'm a very to-do list oriented person. Like I like to check things mm -hmm. off. And I was like, Oh, that's how they view me is that I just have things to do. And, and it made me feel like, Oh my, maybe they, they don't think that they're my most important thing. So I had to like physically sit down mm -hmm. and talk to them. We had a family council and I'm like, my work as a mom is the most important thing to me. And I'm sorry that I haven't shown you that. And, you know, I just want you to know that you're my most important thing and stop praying for me to get all my work done because my work as a mom is never going to be done. Exactly. Yeah. I love, I love that. And that's, that's a great thing. If someone's struggling with motherhood in that area, you know, think about the fact that it's okay that, it, that everything's not done. And if you're being present with your child and you're there, that's the most important thing. You can check a million boxes for that. <laughs> totally a million boxes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, what's the most important lesson that you have learned from all of your experiences that you hope to be able to teach your son? Um, I love this question. And I have so many lessons that I've learned. I could write a book on all the lessons I've you learned. You should but write there a book. Is one, 
<laughs> oh, right now I don't have the time to finish a blog post, let alone more than two pages. But someday I would love to. But the biggest one is that you don't, the biggest lesson that I've learned is you don't always get to choose what happens to you in life, but you always get to choose how you react. And for me, I hope that I always choose joy and choose kindness. And if I can teach Will anything, that's, that's what I want to teach him. Is, and when I taught second grade, I tried to teach my second graders this too. They'd come up to me and emotional that someone said this to them or someone did that to them. And I, I'd say, you don't always get to choose what happens to you, but you get to choose how you react. You can sit here and pout and complain to me, or you can go out and play and find someone else to, to play with. And so it can relate to any situation at any age. And so that's, that's what I, I hope to teach Will is that he gets to choose how he reacts because we have free agency and he can choose joy and choose to be kind. And that doesn't mean there won't be moments of sorrow and sadness and trials and hardships, but at the end of it, we can still choose joy. Oh, I love that. And you're exactly right. Teaching your child that will serve them well for the rest of their life. They will always be able to use that in their life. That's such, that's a, such a good lesson. I love that. Well, Brittany, we are out of time and I have loved <laughs> interviewing you. You're your enthusiasm, your love for life, your positivity and your faith, and also your realness and authentic. If people go read your Instagram posts, you'll, they'll see that you're real about this. You don't sugarcoat it or make it seem like you have this perfect life. And, and I, I love that. But would you tell me how you have seen and felt God as your partner in motherhood? Yeah, I really feel like every year as I set a theme, I, they've come easily since I've been a mother. And I try and set my kind of my theme and my my focus for the year. And each the last two years, I have just felt God calling me to be still and this year to do less. And I really feel like that is just God reminding me to focus on those small and simple things here at home, being present with with my my baby slash toddler growing boy. <laughs> um, but that that's where I've really felt. God guiding me and reminding me to to slow down and be present and be still and to do less. Oh, I love that. That's that's a great message to end on. Thank you so much, Brittany. I really appreciate it. You bet. I know you have a million things to do, and I'm grateful you took the time to listen to today's podcast. I hope the episode helped you to know God is your partner in motherhood. For show notes, head over to spirituallymindedmom.com. For more motherhood inspiration, follow along on Instagram, at spirituallymindedmom. And if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with a friend. I would love it if you would leave a review and rate it on iTunes. This helps more moms to find hope, joy, and God's hand in motherhood. Have an amazing day, and remember, you are doing God's work, and you are doing it wonderfully well.